Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Toffee Web Podcast. Hello, Blues. Welcome to the Toffee Web Podcast for the week beginning the 27th of November 2023, where we'll be looking back at what was, depending on your viewpoint, either a game against superior opposition to be quickly forgotten or a pretty demoralizing result that leaves us with quite the hole to climb out of in the coming weeks. I'm Lyndon Lloyd, back on intro duties after being ably deputized by Andy Howard last week. Uh, Andy isn't available this time, and Paul Trail is unfortunately under the weather, but Adam McCulloch and Al Bretland are here with me to discuss that defeat to United and look ahead to Saturday's trip to the city ground where Everton will face Nottingham Forest. Al, where are you after that 3-0 defeat and the club's position in general in terms of the fight to avoid relegation for a third successive season now? Assuming, of course, we don't get any of those deducted points back. Yeah, um, I think it, I think the season really does depend on that home form. It, it, it's got to improve. Um, I think yeah. we were all right to be very optimistic uh, before the points deduction. You know, it was, it was, as we said on the previous podcast, it was the furthest distance away we'd been from the from the relegation zone that really felt like a weight had been lifted um so in true Everton style over the last few years you know we were brought back to earth with a bump and and you know it was it was tough and then when you when you look at the results you know Everton lost loose and won and all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. it's a five point gap um and it, it, it yeah I think I think that's it's the psychology isn't it and I think that's going to be really interesting for the for how the players cope because you know, I think we were all confident. I, I honestly just expected us to blow Man United away, purely because the atmosphere. Because I always think you, yeah. you can feel it in the air when, when Everton are going to win. I think one of the only things that could have happened on the planet happened with Ganacho scoring an absolutely stunning goal. And, you know, I think <laughs> we were all very confident, rightly so. But then when you take a step back, you know, I, I, I read someone say, you know, imagine if you'd worked really hard in your own job. And your bosses had, had cost you a project or work, you would be very deflated, yeah. I think. So it, it, it's I think Sean Dyche has got a a big job on his hands really to to boost the players. Um, but I think as the season goes on now, I think the Chelsea Newcastle home games are massive because for me now I think we've got enough sort of results to look at. And Sean Dyche's home away record I think is very similar to the whole Roberto Martinez attack v defence. I feel like it's, you know, he's clearly very good at one system. But at home, I'm leaving Goodison just, I'm feeling very unfulfilled in what I'm watching. Um, because I think, you know, you look at the XG, you look at the chances Everton are creating, 
and I see it, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not I'm not coming out of games thinking that Everton did dominate. Um I'd say that, you know, watching Ashley Young, Harrison, Decore and Gay, it's like watching a pinball machine. There's there's legs everywhere, <laughs> the ball's moving in different directions. And, you know, soon enough that ball is gonna end up in that in that gap that you don't want it to go in. Um there's just there's not a lot of composure at home. And I think when you're away from home, because that home team is is meant to be in the ascendancy and has the backing of the fans, when you lose those scrappy balls, it's okay almost because you get another chance. If you lose the ball at Goodison, there's a there's a there's a feeling, isn't there? There's a there's a collective grow, there's a pressure. Um, and I think that it is like night and day at the minute. So I think, you know, Forest is is a winnable game. It's a big one. But for me, I feel like the season is going to be defined by that Chelsea-Newcastle game, whether or not, as we've said in the past, is it going to be mid-table mediocrity or are we going to have a battle on our hands? Because as we saw last season as well, the Bournemouth-Leicester game for Lampard going into that World Cup break, it, it's an important time of year now where... You know, there'll be a lot of games. You'll have the FA Cup. We've got the League Cup to contend with. Um, and it's about getting that feel-good factor back. Um, so, you know, I think Man United were one of the worst teams you could have played, really. In that sense, you know, I know that they're, they're not the best side, but they are in a good run of form and they've got players of quality who can score the best goal I've ever seen live. It was just stunning. Um, and you could just... The atmosphere was one of the best I've been in. And as soon as that goal went in, it just went quiet, and it, it was such a good goal. I almost lost myself and wanted to share, like with people, like "Oh my god!" And obviously, I mean, yeah. the streets—it was just angry scowl, you know, all scowls on people's faces. So, yeah, for me, the the big word for me is the, the sense of feeling is just unfulfillment. I'm going to Goodison. Um, I'm seeing Everton create chances, but it, it's almost like I'm not convinced by it. Um, you know, it's five defeats now. And especially earlier in the season, the Wolves-Fulham game, I know that a lot of people thought Everton were unlucky, but I, I never agreed with that view. And for me, it's it's not really changed further down the line. Yeah, it's it's hard to put your finger after the game, whether it's been sort of battling and gutsy and chances have been created or you've just watched a real wasted opportunity. The pinball analogy is perfect and there was also a lot of kind of static lumbering, the kind of people you'd expect to sort of walk up to a pinball machine as well on show. Um, it just, it's, it's great that we're creating chances. And I think you're absolutely right as well, Al, that if, if one thing could have really punctured all that build up, and I'm sure all of the work that's been done on the training ground, not just in the build up, but also obviously during an international break where a lot of the players uh, we're back at Finch Farm. If one thing could have punctured it, I mean, even, I don't know, even an early red card, if someone was really too fired up and we had a man a man sent off, you feel like even then the crowd still would have felt gelled with the occasion. But seeing a goal like that, it's, it's not just your manager messing up the project, it's your manager coming in and doing such a, a good job of messing up the project that you're sort of taken aback by the sheer brazenness of it. It's... It, it it was it was a stunning goal and and I had the same kind of reaction of oh god but also fair enough because if you if you're going to score then I guess yeah do it like that 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 was essentially the difference between the two sides on Sunday evening they had they had quality they had some composure obviously that moment there was a one in a if not a million then more uh, opportunity taken. But the third goal, the, that little bit of composure, they, they didn't have to try too hard to get that. And it's the feeling I've had coming away from some of the games, not just under Deitch, in fairness, of recent years where we've gone into these games, probably post-Moyes, if not sort of early Martinez, where we've gone into games like this, where I thought, oh, this is a team who are there for the taking. This is a team who are billed as favourites, but actually I, I think we're favourites. I fancy us. And, and I really did believe that we'd lay a glove on them. And that's where it's a little hard to analyse, which isn't great, seven minutes into a podcast record <laughs> for me to admit. But it's <laughs> I come away from it going, well, did did we did we do what we set out to do there? I'm still a bit unsure because there were, there were some great opportunities. 
there were chances on another day that if they go in, the game's different. There was a penalty decision which, on reflection, was the right call, but still could have gone either way, certainly did in the moment. And you could come away from it going, well, 3 nils probably an unfair result in terms of the margin of victory. But also there's that nagging sense of we really, really could have done more there. And and I feel a big a big part of that responsibility lies with the manager in these games because we have enough evidence now that sadly against the so-called bigger teams, and I think lumping Manchester United in with that is difficult. They're a difficult side to pigeonhole. I've said that in the build-up to the game, and I still say having watched them for 90 minutes, they're hard to pin down. But they're not quite as good as we make them look, certainly. And I feel like it's one of those results that, I don't think it'll come back to bite us, but it it feels like an it felt like an opportunity, I should say, to really take away some of the noise, some of the pressure, some of the external stuff ahead of an appeal at the end of this week. It seems um, if we're if we're going into this strange winter of discontent, knowing that that ten points we probably can't bank on that coming back, or at least a portion of it coming back, then. I I need to see a bit more from the side than I saw on Sunday. And I think, to your point as well, El, the home crowd at Goodison needs to see more because that's that's really where, over the past couple of seasons, we've, we've got out of jail and the fans need something back beyond, well, the possession stats were up a bit and the chances were up a bit and oh, well, at least we're a bit better than Lampard. We'll... We're, we're 10 points worse off than we should be. So we, we kind of need to be 10 points better than we were uh, under there, if that makes sense with my maths. Lyndon, you take over for a bit. <laughs> no, that, that all makes sense. And I, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, the home... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The home, the home form and particularly against the better teams, in quotes, the top teams, in quotes, is, is the thing that actually worries me. I mean, if you think back to those really important matches under Lampard where we beat United at home, Chelsea at home, Newcastle at home, uh, and, and results that we really, really needed and the crowd was up for it and the crowd was 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 really amped up. We've not been able to match that under Deitch. And that that's the thing that's starting to concern me is the performances, particularly at home against these sides. When we've played Arsenal not laid a glove on them. We've played Manchester United and, you know, sort of tried to lay a glove on them. And as you, as you've said, failed with some fairly poor execution in the final third, which is becoming again, you know, a theme of the season at Goodison Park. I mean, I was like pretty much everybody else going into that game against United thinking this, this is an opportunity and we're, we're going to take it because you know, the, the wave of, of anger and the wave of, and the unity and, and the, just the atmosphere is going to be so much that how could we not? And it was that same kind of feeling of Duncan Ferguson's first game. And, and again, some of those really sort of high octane, memorable games under Lampard uh, and the Arsenal game, home game against uh, under Sean Dyche. I just, I foresaw another one of those occasions where United, who've had their own—I mean, obviously they came in as the form team of the of the of the last few weeks—but they've had their own issues. They're fallible. They can be got at. But I mean, I'm sure Eric Ten Hag would have said to them, "Look, just control the early exchanges, which they did. Um, you know, take the sting out of it, which they did." And obviously, I mean, you can't legislate for a goal like that. I mean, it was just. I mean, excuse my language, but I just said, oh, fuck off. You know, I mean, how, yeah. how could, you know, just honestly, could you just not save that for any other match, you know? Um, but yeah, so it's, 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 it's those performances against these bigger teams that concern me, given that the, um, the next few games are obviously against Newcastle, Chelsea and City. Those are the next three home games before the end of the year. And I apologies to anyone who listens to the Blue Room um, subs weekly because I said some of this stuff earlier <laughs> earlier today on that. But um, that is my concern is that we're not, you know, our, our home form against even the lesser sides has been, a, has been an issue. But against these bigger teams, we're not following through in the same way that we did 
uh, under Lampard and maybe some of that's to do with the fact that we just don't have someone like Richarlison who can who can find that clinical moment you know uh, in a game to to score a, to score what often is the only goal that we need um you know having to rely on scoring the first goal every, every time is a problem particularly against these 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 kinds of teams who can control a game from the off as we know the likes of city can and and you know chelsea are a bit of an unknown quantity this season they've been a bit, a bit up and down but again like united they have quality in their ranks and that's always a danger the quality can get you out of jail you know on, on a number of occasions <clears throat> and unfortunately we just don't have it consistently enough so that's the um that's the concern for me. But um, Al, obviously you and I weren't on last week's podcast, but I wanted to know if, if you wanted to have any thoughts in general about the deduction, about the penalty, the punishment that obviously has been meted out to uh, Everton by this so-called independent panel. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I know I've had my like conspiracy theories on this podcast before about you know refereeing decisions, but mm-hmm. I think you know I think Evertonians are right to feel aggrieved, and that you know there is more to it than just a cut and dry. Everton have broke the rules and, you know, that's the deduction. I think what's disappointing is I think that the Premier League want to be self-regulated. They don't want any outside, you know, people coming in to, to take that over from them. And I think it's very easy, as some other people have said, to throw the, the deduction at Everton. Um, and, you know, for me as well, it's, you know, a lot has been made of Everton and in the situation, but... It's also the other teams down there as well, how they're affected because, you know, I've read today that Everton are, are likely to lodge an appeal this week. What happens if Luton, you know, work their backsides off to get clear of us? And then all of a sudden, with two months to go, we're back above them. Um, I just think it's, there's a lot of things that you look at and think, well, you know, how unfair is it on Everton? How unfair is it on the league, and you know, I've said many times that the state of the referee and nobody is in a true position in the league table. And this is just it, it, it's all it almost feels like another void season almost, um, because so many things have gone wrong. Um, you know, I think the outside media and you know, rival fans have maybe uh, got the wrong end of the stick through our you know, disappointments. You know, not one Evertonian has said that we we didn't break the rules, you know, we, we've seen that we have. Um, but really, for me, it's the rules are wrong. Um, yeah, we've gone nineteen million over, but on Sunday we faced a, a football club for a billion pound in debt, with and it was the most expensive squad in in football currently at one point one five billion. Um, now people point to Man United's revenue; they could pay it off whenever they like. So why haven't they? It's because it gives them an advantage, right? Hundred so, percent. You know, do you know what I mean? It's there's lots of different factors to it, and you know, again, another point, you know, the, the 105 million figure, it's been there for about 10 years now. What about inflation? Um, and then, you know, the overriding thing is that Everton, quite simply, are trying to better themselves. Yes, they've made mistakes in the in the transfer market, but at the end of the day, Goodison Park doesn't sufficiently give them enough money anymore. Um, I remember years ago hearing about the Emirates. I think the Emirates makes more money from their boxes than Goodison does on a match day. Um, and if you think how long's the Emirates been there now, over a decade. Um, so yeah, for me, I just think I I I don't dispute that Everton have broke the rules, but it just seems very unfair. Um, and it does. It feels like it, it's quite easy to to corner Everton and punish them to make to make yourself you know be seen to be doing the right thing and. As well, what's really disappointing is Sky Sports as well. You know, if it's true that they have, you know, interviewed Andy Burnham and decided not to show it, if it's true that, you know, they they maybe didn't have the mics as they usually would at Goodison, you know, I don't know how true these things are, but, you know, as a, as a you know, as a sports broadcaster, you know, we're, we're one of the 20 teams in the Premier League, which is a massive brand. And if Evertonians are angry about something, they should report on it. It's as simple as that, really. If Evertonians decide to fly a plane over Manchester City versus Liverpool, the top two clubs, that's not irrelevant. That's a big story that you should say. By the way, (laughs) there's a football match going on, but there's a plane overhead. You know, and this affects the whole league. (laughs) Um, 
There were two. There were two. Yeah. That's a mad thing. Yeah. There's two. Yeah. There's two. Um, neither, neither got on. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think for me, really, there's just a sense of disappointment, unfairness, and it, it, it sort of proves what Evertonians have felt for a few decades now. That you know we're we're not we're not seen as relevant or or as important, and you know those clubs that are seen as important, the ones that make the most money, the the top six, they're the ones who tried to blow English football apart only a few years ago, and they got a slap on the wrist. And you know as as we mentioned at the start of the show, the players have worked hard to earn their fourteen points, and they've got to go again now through no fault of their own. So yeah, just really disappointing, and I, I hope that you know. The Premier League and the the independent well the independent commission can can get see some sense in that, and you know listen to the points that have been made and and you know make amends for that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I was just going to say we've we've obviously waited for full allocated fourteen days to lodge an appeal by the sounds of it, so that's going to go through on Friday. Um, I guess. I'm going to take that as a positive that we've waited as long as possible, that hopefully we've lawyered up, that we've, you know, splashed some cash in that area at least. And we we fight this because I think, obviously, the fan base on Sunday and, and since then, um, we spoke about this last week as well, is, is, is galvanised and is, I think, um, united on the sense that, yes, something's been done wrong, but no, this isn't the way it should be punished. And I think when I when I speak to other people away from Everton, my, my sense is that there's obviously there's a bit of, oh, you know, a bit of joshing, a bit of joking. In some cases, um, it's more negative. But I think pretty much everyone's unanimous on the, in the sense that this is far too great a punishment. And I think that's, that's our, our one kind of get out that I think... If, if that can be a sort of suspended points uh, penalty or if it at least comes down to an extent, then hopefully results like Sunday and also, and when I say results like Sunday, I mean the likes of bloody Palace every time. Um, you know, <laughs> that, Luton re- that Luton result, which I, I shouldn't I shouldn't care about as much. And, and you're right as well, El, but the thing is, this, this whole season, a bit like the COVID seasons, it has that asterisk, in your head next to a lot of things already because you know we, we could have a 10 point penalty and who knows what will happen to other sides further up the table if uh, if rules are followed uh, shall we say but let's hope it just comes down enough so that we can at least focus on focus on football to an extent because I feel like we, 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 sh- we shouldn't let it die down I, I don't think I don't think the fans will I think I think the the drum is being beaten loudly, and um, and I think as well it's worth saying, other sides around there. You mentioned Luton. I think the general sense around the Premier League, certainly my feeling at the moment, is just distaste really. And Wolves, Wolves against Fulham on Monday. I mean, VAR is an aberration, and I think that's changed the way a lot of people view the game, and it's it's solidified a lot of that. You said conspiracy theories, El, but the fact is, is there's a, a kind of vacuum around there, so you have to fill it with something. If Sky Sports News aren't necessarily being impartial, if you have a manager like Gary O'Neill at Wolves, I thought spoke very well and very eloquently about their results, and I think we've kind of got to do the same, but there comes a point where you have to be a bit nasty and a bit gnarly about it and go, hold on a minute, is this independent? Hold on a minute, is this fair and just? Hold on a minute, what about? X team. What about Y team? Um, so hopefully, hopefully that's what we're doing, and hopefully um, they don't get me in as a lawyer because uh, <laughs> it just uh, it just ramble on like that. Wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, I mean, it is it is a bit farcical, as you say, in in terms of how you know teams navigate the rest of the season. We've no we have no idea how long this appeal process is going to take. Hopefully, it'll only just be a matter of weeks. You know, once this obviously this appeal goes in by Friday. Um, and, and we'll, you know, hopefully we'll know in, in good time. All the teams will know basically where they stand. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is. The whole thing is just a farce. And you know, this notion of um, conspiracy theories, um, theories filling a vacuum. I mean, <laughs> that that line L about United, you know, choosing not to pay off their debt because it's a sporting advantage. I mean, 
that just crystallizes it in a nutshell for me. You know, and and then that's not to even mention the extent to which Chelsea have been, as I put in my article on the website this morning, the way that to the extent that Chelsea have been bending the rules with, um, you know, harvesting players and sending them out on loan, um, giving players seven, eight year contracts to enable to spread the the payments out over the lifetime of a contract to essentially spend far more than they would otherwise be allowed to do. I mean, and when it comes down to it, if we're talking about the £19.5 million issue here, when you put it up against those numbers that these other clubs are spending and the debt that they're incurring, it's just, it it just makes you, it it makes you incredulous that Everton have been punished to the extent that they have. Um, Obviously, the more uh, the stuff, more stuff that comes out in the media about their decision-making process, the more we're finding out of how the nuts and bolts of this worked and it appears as though um it appears that the league were making this up as they went along because they've come up with this formula retrospectively while the appeals process sorry while the um commission not before it deliberated but while it was awaiting to uh to to um deliberate on Everton's case and they've decided that you know that the the punishment for Everton's transgression in the first place should be 6 points and then it was going to be one point for every five million that we we're over. So let's assume, for argument's sake, we were sixty, seventy million over. You know, how many how many points then do you then deduct? And, and at what point does it just become ridiculous? Now, in Manchester City's mm-hmm. case, you're not talking about um, a monetary figure that they have gone over. You're talking about 115 different charges related to you know failure to report and and misleading the Premier League and all the rest of it. So what's the formula there for a points deduction? It, it the whole thing just makes no sense to me, um, and, and it's you know how can you? I don't I don't know how you can operate a league of, of this size and 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 scope on those kinds of rules. Um, so yeah, go ahead, El. But as well, Everton have already had the hands tied behind the back. Because when we asked the Premier League for help and guidance and we went to them, we signed Andros Townsend on a free, Begovic on a free, Rondon on a free. You know, if we were allowed to spend as City, Chelsea, everyone else does, we'd have signed uh, a new uh, goalkeeper for money. We'd have paid money for a winger, paid money for a striker. Perhaps, you know, Beto could have come in two years earlier. Um, And then that's a better Everton squad. So we've already been punished in that sense that we've not been allowed to spend as freely as anybody else despite not spending anywhere near as much and if you look at the the net spend i know that the the whole sustainability is much more than net spend but somebody showed a graph in the first nine teams alphabetically in the premier league in the last three seasons it's only brighton and everton who've got who are in green every season every other club is is in red and the thing for me, it's the Premier League have these sustainability rules, but they're throwing TV money at all 20 clubs. Bournemouth made, I think, 1.9 million from player sales and spent 127 million euros. They signed players from Roma, from Lyon. Um, this is Bournemouth who, you know, no disrespect, they've got a very tiny stadium in, in Premier League terms, so they're not going to make a load of money out of that. I don't expect many people outside of the Bournemouth fan base are buying Bournemouth shirts. You know, th- this is a club in terms of sustainability. As sad as it is, Bournemouth are probably, you know, probably do have that glass ceiling. But the Premier League are throwing money at everyone. And I think it's very careless of the Premier League because your Bournemouths and your Lutons, they're not going to be able to compete for about 30 years if FFP is, is true. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're spending them well beyond their means, and surely it's going to catch up with them. You know, Bournemouth, one hundred and twenty-seven million in one summer. It's just astounding. And you look at it, nobody. You know, all the clubs, nobody in the league table really surprises you. That the, the team who've made the biggest leap is Brighton, and that's because they're you know they're a properly run club. It's not because they've taken advantage of TV money. So. For me, it's very hypocritical of the Premier League to have FFP rules and to supposedly care about sustainability when they're given relatively small football clubs over a hundred million to spend um, as as part of you know the monopoly of the Premier League. So that for me is I I think over the next few seasons, I wouldn't be surprised if three or four teams have got minus ten be- because of 
everybody's going to try and overspend to compete. And it's all going to come and bite them on the bum. Um, and so I, I think the Premier League have, have caused it through through sheer greed, basically. You know, they, they will they will sell the broadcast rights for so much money and they're just dishing it out to the clubs. And where's it going to end? You know, the bubble will burst because, as I say, it's just not sustainable for a club like Bournemouth to spend £127 million. It's, it's just not. Yeah, and the extension of the extension of that argument is related to the Champions League. Is that teams like Everton have been overspending to try and get into the Champions League because this, you know, this 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 group of six clubs has had a lock on those positions for so long, and as we saw, try have made various moves to try and, you know, consolidate that hold on them and and to try and keep other clubs out. And so yeah. the only way yeah. that we could really try and get in there was to overspend. Um, no, the great irony of it is that a lot of a lot of fans weren't really on board with some of this outlandish spending. I mean, I'm on record as saying that paying forty five million pounds for Gilfie Sigurdsson was absolute insanity. We paid twice as much as we should have done for him. There was no competition for David Klassen when we paid twenty odd million for him. You know, John Philippe Gababin might have been the same case. We overspent on players. We we, you know, dished out enormous salaries, um, which we saddled we saddled with enormous you know. Uh, an enormous wage bill for for five six years, um, you know that that wasn't the fans who did that. This was the ownership who did that, and yet now with most of the ownership on the way out or gone, we are the ones who have to deal with it. Yeah, and the reason Swansea were able to ask for forty five million was because they had Premier League money in the bank. Right. So it, so it's almost yeah. like the Premier League has caused inflation as well. Mm-hmm. You know, look at look at how much money the Premier League spends compared to the Bundesliga, La Liga. Syria, you know, even when Premier League clubs sell to each other, you know, what would have been, you know, a three hundred thousand pound signing twenty five years ago? It's now like twenty eight million. You know, look at look at the players Bournemouth signed from Liverpool, all reserve players. Yeah. All twenty, thirty million. Twenty odd million. Yeah. So, you know, Swansea were in a position, they hadn't been yeah. in the Premier League for that many years. You know, they were quite established at the time. They'd had what one for A into Europe. And they're able to tell Everton we want forty five million. And it's because they had money in the bank; they didn't need to to sell them. So for me, it's the Premier League is you know tr- talking about FFP and sustainability, but they've caused the inflation, they've caused the overspending, they've caused the Premier League to just eat itself. Um, and as I say, I, I, I worry for a lot of clubs. I think there's a lot of clubs that are in the Premier League in this era who are going to face ruin basically just because of the amount of money and. You know, football goes in cycles. The Premier League isn't always going to be the league that the broadcast rights want. You know, Serie A could come back into fashion. You don't know. Barcelona and Real Madrid may make La Liga the top league again. And all of a sudden, that money dwindles. And then it's it's not going to be Man City or Chelsea who suffer. It's going to be Luton, Bournemouth, Brentford, Brighton, uh, you know, Crystal Palace, all those sort of teams. So it's, I do, I think that, I think the Premier League have been very hypocritical and very careless. And obviously, we we've been we've been careless as well. We budgeted for, you know, finishing in sixth place and spent accordingly. And as you said, Lyndon, not not always wisely. We're not looking at this going, oh, but wasn't it fun having all these glamorous players? A lot of them were, like I say, kind of middling Premier League players who, like Ashley Williams, like Gilfie Sigurdsson, who we overspent Yannick Balassi, um, who just signed for someone. I think Swansea. I uh, Swansea. Yeah. <laughs> It all comes back around. Jordan I, by the way, who I who I Google based on that form of comment at Ebb's Fleet United. Wow. What a world. Uh, that's a bit of a fall from Grace. But that's but that's the frustrating thing that it's it's not that we've kind of played the Premier League game, we've tried to gamble at the high table and now we're 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 bust. It's not Portsmouth where you're bringing in players on huge wages and essentially the operation cannot be funded anymore. And obviously that was one of the, the big takeaways from a points deduction, but the administration penalty, uh, certainly when Portsmouth were punished, was nine points. And we're getting punished more than that by going 19 and a half million over, still being a funded club, still being a going concern, still paying everyone their wages on time, etc. And this punishment essentially puts us in kind of debtor's prison because not only does it take away points from our league standing potentially also potentially takes away our Premier League status which in turn 
puts our financial security at risk. It really does feel like the wrong punishment. If this was, oh, they spent £19.5 million, I don't know, buying custom boots laced with ricin or putting <laughs> tranquilizers in, in the away side's dressing room or something. It, it's it's not that, is it? It's it's basically spending a bit too much on your credit card and going, oh, crap, well, that's my credit score for the next few years, i.e. what we should probably be looking at is some kind of uh, transfer window um, embargo uh, for, for a set period of time some kind of fine, some kind of penalty that has to be paid back in a kind of watch your behaviour, lads, as opposed to what we're seeing now, which is potentially really quite catastrophic. But that's where I'm hoping, as I say that out loud, someone's listening and just sees a little bit of a sense in it because the, the sense is, as as we're all kind of agreeing on, it's, it's not been this mad tro- trolley dash. It's not been eight-year eight contracts. It's not been... A country's bought us and another player, so we're going to loan him that player just to move around the, the puzzle pieces a little bit. It's none of this clever kind of engineering. It's just basically a bit of crap accounting during a turbulent time, during mm-hmm. a stadium build, when there's other Premier League sides who've obviously had that uh, kind of thrust on the doorstep, quite literally. We've tried to keep up with the Joneses. We've sort of failed, but are still in the game at least. And I think we should be allowed to keep going on the ride a little longer, even if sometimes the other sides of football like this, um, like a lot of those sides I mentioned, certainly like VAR, kind of makes you think, well, yeah, I might just go off and watch, I don't know, another league, the Maltese League or the Gibraltar League and just forget about it all for a little bit and pretend Everton are there instead. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, for us next, and in the context of uh, our heart-warring home form, the fact that our next three opponents in the league are Newcastle, Chelsea, and City, the fact that we're five points from safety, eight points behind Bournemouth in 16th, uh, Saturday's game against Forest is a big one. It's obviously not ideal to put so much emphasis on one game because it isn't make or break, obviously, in any sense. But nevertheless, three points from the City ground would be huge, wouldn't it, Adam? Yeah, it really would. And... It'll be interesting to see what side we see out there, uh, whether Anana's back from fitness, because I feel if there was one real thing missing from that game against United, it was his control on the ball, his drive, um, the lack of... Um, he, he he isn't a pinball machine, is he? Or if he is, he's kind of, you know, for multi-ball, he, he, can, he can do things a bit differently. And, and he, we, we just look better without him. And I, and I feel like the rest of our side... We've spoken about the likes of Decore being a bit of a, a weird Tyro, kind of does his own thing. Without someone like Anana near him, he does look more ragged. And I think having him back in the side would be massive. I guess the other obvious point from Sunday that we've not touched on is Ashley Young as well. Um, I think... I know both of your feelings don't, on this matter. Don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of regret it. Um, <laughs> this is like the verbal equivalent of me dangling my leg out in the air. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Doing the inevitable. Um, but I, I, I do feel if, if Sean Dyche has got a couple of kind of blind spots that we've sadly kind of not seen corrections to, one is what we touched on before in terms of these games against the quote-unquote bigger, better opposition, um, certainly at home. The other long-standing one seems to be Ashley Young because I think, and you don't want to single players out, but it it doesn't feel like, like the case with certain other signings, some of whom we mentioned before, by the way, but it's not one of those Everton players where you think, uh, do you know what? Like he might come good or he's frustrating, but let's see, i.e. Alex Awobi. It's not a homegrown player who sort of sizzles and then fizzles like Ross Barkley or Tom Davis. Um, it's not someone like a Morpé where you just think, well, you probably shouldn't, you know, be in the side. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a player who was brought in to do the steady Eddie job, to do all the basics, to follow Sean Dyche's plan. They're former teammates. He's he's supposed to just distill what's on the manager's mind, get it on the pitch and do the real basics. And 
sadly week on week there seems to be an error it usually seems to be from that area of a pitch and I know Seamus Coleman's back in training but how Nathan Patterson must feel at this point I don't really know obviously he came on at the weekend but that's that's the real obvious change for me he, he wasn't the only one cup on Sunday it must be said but I think Bramthwaite making that kind of move against Palace and giving away one penalty and possibly two is one thing, but he's a young player learning his trade, learning mm. the game. Ashley Young now a couple of times this season has lost his head at crucial moments and the game against Forrest is... Every game's massive now, isn't it? Let's be frank. But I think, to me, if there's a time to take him out the side, give him a breather, for one thing, because we're talking about one of the few Everton players uh, older than me in the squad, which is fun. Um, so give it, give him a breather, take him out of the firing line to an extent, because I don't think there's a lot of trust from the fan base in him. And I'd say at this point, it's, it's not that, that balance, but we've started to get in other areas of the pitch. So be interesting to see how Deitch responds to that. But beyond that, I'm, I'm quietly confident we can get something. I think there has to be a response after performance like that against United. And, Again, the the one sort of positive, even though I'm still feeling a bit strange and uh, weirded out by what to make of this Everton side at times this season, is we are creating chances and some of that look has to change. And someone like Decore, who obviously missed a, a guilt-edged chance um, against United, is that sort of player who will put that to bed and, and get a crucial goal at times. Again, Dom looks sharp at, at moments, so... I fancy us to get something, but I, I do feel like Anana in that side and Young out of that side would really tip the balance in my favour. What do you think, Al? Yeah, I think that for context of my frustration about it, if the Premier League said you can have your 10 points back, but you've got to keep playing Ashley Young, I think I'd say <laughs> I'll stick with the minus 10. But I just, I was so, I was really pleased. When I say I was really pleased with the signing, where Everton are at, I think. It works, you know. If if there's a, if there are injuries, he can come in. He can do a job. He should be nowhere near the team every week, from what I've seen on the pitch. Um, it's and it's like on a loop. Yeah. I, I sit where the in the Gladys Street in GT two. So first half, you know, I'm I, I see the right back regularly, and he'll give away his foul in the first fifteen minutes, and then be telling the two man wall what to do as he steps back into the box, and then you know that he'll he'll angle a pass and it's not down the line and it's not diagonal it's like just into the path of one of the opposition central midfielders and every time he gets caught out and, it, and the opposition have a chance so that for me is something that is just so frustrating because we've got Nathan Patterson on the bench who if he has made mistakes it's because he's young I've never once come on this podcast and said Nathan Patterson needs to be dropped because he's you know, he's done this or he's done that. I just think he's a young player learning his trade. The way he gets better is to play. And, you know, I think this is massively on Deitch because, you know, we've seen Mikolenko is a very solid defender, but Young was playing left-back at one point as well. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen with James Garner being played out wide, uh, Michael Keane starting the season, um, you know, that there are those blind spots. And this is, a, this is probably the biggest, I think, but... As well for Deitch, he's got to make substitutions quicker. Um, against Man United in the second half, 2-0 uh, down, Everton's player just felt so samey, so predictable, and that's where you need a spark. And it doesn't matter if the player you're bringing on isn't good as the you know the player who's going off. It's about an energy, having an impetus, and I feel it's Sean Deitch just too many times. He just he just waits too long, and I don't, I don't know what he's waiting for, you know. I think um, Chimiti, when he comes on, I think he's got a lot in house and I think he makes things happen just from, from his position. And so it's it's really disappointing that, you know, we've now got options off the bench. Not not loads, don't get me wrong. I know that there's not loads of quality on the bench, but I just feel that the, the 11 that Deitch picks and, you know, four or five players off the bench can win games of football in the Premier League, can come back from a goal down or two. And can change things. And, you know, I often see Sean Dyche talking to Ian Wone or Steve Stone. And I don't know what they're discussing because it's very clear to me that the change needs to come. Um, so, 
yeah, it, I, honestly, out of probably all the managers in, of the Machere era, I think Dyche is the one who frustrates me the most because I see that he does get things right. He is a he is a good manager in terms of setting a team up away from home, and it, it, it's it's just such a shame that you know we will stick with players, but we've seen it. You know, I think Roberto Martinez um, stuck with Tim Howard when Joe Robles had a good run in the team, and he went back with Howard. And you know, these decisions can cost managers their job. You know, because if Everton continue to lose by the odd goal at home and Ashley Young's still playing, Dyche will get the blame for that, whether that's the reason or not. Because we're seeing something that isn't working, which he's, which he's persevering with. So yeah, for me, the the Ashley Young, you know, inclusion and you know the persistence with him is just really frustrating now. Because you know, I, I I'd much rather if we're going to concede a goal through a mistake, I'd much rather it be through Nathan Patterson who's learning his trade, and will gain from the experience, albeit a negative one, than than Ashley Young who will you know soon be hanging up his boots. Um. You know, and that's the thing. If, if Nathan Patterson's injured, Coleman's injured, Michalenko's injured, and Ashley Young's are playing, I've got no qualms with that. But really, I do. I think it's a very, very bad call from Deitch because I just, I don't think it's needed. And I, I don't, at the same time, I don't think it's fair on Young. You know, he's making these fouls, he's putting these bad performances in, and Deitch is leaving him out there for far too long. It's like Michael Keane all over again, isn't it? I feel feel like it's going to be a situation that will only change once things become so blindingly obvious. He makes you know enough errors that lead to goals or whatever that that Deitch will change it. I mean, like UL, I had no qualms with with signing Ashley Young in the first place because of his experience, because of his physical condition that he's clearly still able to you know play at the top level. You know, and last ninety minutes, um, but uh, he shouldn't be the first choice. You know, and and unfortunately, Deitch is one of these managers that seems to want to to. Um, err on the side of experience, a bit like David Moyes used to, <clears throat> over you know more rational decisions. Hopefully, with Seamus Coleman, Seamus Coleman was on the bench. Um, I'm surprised he didn't actually come on in the closing stages actually to get some minutes, but he was obviously on the bench. So um, you know, Deitch may have the decision, an easy decision to make once Seamus Coleman's um, fully fit. <clears throat> that obviously doesn't. Uh, doesn't help Nathan Patterson any, um, and unfortunately, and I, I feel I feel for Patterson because you know, I'd much prefer to see him learning his trade in the side um, than and then watch Ashley Young make mistakes that he really should know better than um, at his stage of his uh, of his career. But um, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, I suspect that uh, that Young will be on the team again on on Saturday. I don't think that um, Coleman is quite Deitch fit <laughs> in quotes uh, to to make the start. Um, and hopefully Onana's back. Um, I think Adrissa Gay. He didn't. He had actually, he actually had a pretty pretty good game against United. Unfortunately, uh, we saw both sides of his uh, of his shooting ability. <laughs> one absolutely awful shot, and then one that was almost a worldie, but for Andre Onana. Um, but in terms of Forest, I mean, they're not in a good place themselves. There's talk again of their ownership uh, being willing to give Steve Cooper time to turn results around. They've got their main striker one year out, one year out injured, and um, I think Ibrahim Sangari has been ill. So it's not the worst time to be playing them, but you know, and, and again, there's that ROA record which has been really, really good. I think last season the difference maker in that fixture was um, was Brennan Johnson. <clears throat> I think without him, we probably would have won there in March. So yeah. you know, I think go there with the same mindset, the same approach, and and we could be sound. But. Uh, yeah, none of these none of these away games are easy, and uh, and that's the problem with um, with sort of relying on our away form to kind of carry us through when our home form isn't good is because it's it's just that much more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I, my, my one worry with Forrest is uh, Anthony Alanga, who's one of those players, one of many players we've nearly signed over the years. And feels like the sort of person who will. Well, he's, I think he scored in the last game, didn't he? Actually, he looks, he looks tidy, looks dangerous, and um, and now there's a narrative. Um, so nailed on then that he's going to so score. I, I feel like <laughs> nailed on. Yeah, Ashley Young will bring him mm-hmm. down, last man, and we'll all we'll all say weren't we clever? But I think <laughs> sorry, uh, but I think I think that I think they have got players who can hurt us. But you're right. Um, they're, I'd say they're less of a threat than they were last season, and obviously they weren't in 
great shakes last season either. I think we've we 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 could and probably should have enough, but um, yeah, I, I I'd like to see a little bit more, um, a little bit more now in the play, in the same way. We've seen that certain times away, but against United, it did feel pretty route one. It felt like that was the only real way we were going to um, get on the score sheet. Apart from yeah, you mentioned that. Um, that Garner Gay shot from distance. And I remember, th- I-, I knew that wasn't our day when I saw Anana, who every time I've watched him for United has just been absolutely woeful, pull off a really uh, top draw save. That was kind of when you knew. Um, but I think a, a, a bit more clinical finishing, um, better performance from Decore, and we might have enough. Uh, one other note on the subs there, El, that you mentioned. Obviously, we have got options off the bench, but it's worth saying, again, not to sort of harp on uh, negatively about players, but Dan Juma was pretty, pretty awful uh, when he came on against United. And I feel he's he's obviously been, again, a kind of victim of not being a favourite of Deitch, probably of arriving not fully fit as well. But he's someone who you would expect to see game time in uh, in the busy December calendar. So hopefully we can see a bit more of him because... He was he was one player I was excited about, one player who I felt could make a real difference in the final third and certainly who I felt was going to be an upgrade on Damari Gray. And so far, uh, besides, uh, what, a little moment against Doncaster, which is kind of in the same realms of Beto, isn't it, I guess? We've not seen too much of him just because Deitch has kept that settled side. So he's he's going to need to show something as well. But, uh, but I also agree that Chimiti looks at the moment like the player... Um, who can probably do something off the bench. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see a bit more of him as well. Yeah, I think I think with Dan Juma, I think he's very much one of those players who, who needs to be told he's amazing, who needs to feel wanted because, you know, I might be completely wrong on this. He just looked disinterested against United. He just didn't seem to have to get up and go. And, you know, maybe Deitch could have managed that situation a little better because I think he was sort of jettisoned out quite quickly and not really given a chance. But... What's weird about Dan Juma is he played in that League Cup game in the number 10 role and did absolutely nothing apart from play the two of the best passes I've seen this season. And it's almost like, <laughs> is it worth having him on the pitch for those little moments? And I think really with a Sean Dyche team, the answer is no, because you need hard workers, you need grafters. But when you look at it in those moments, you know, it, it, it's difficult. You need that quality and... I've got to say, I'm very disappointed in Lionel Messi. You know, he's he's seen Idrissa Garnagay on the training pitch at PSG. Just go over to him and tell him not to lean back when you shoot. You know, that, that could have helped us massively rather than, you know. So, you know, he goes to PSG. What a great experience and the best player. And, you know, that could have really helped us. Honestly, I can't believe a professional footballer. You see it a mile off, he leans so far back. That ball is only going in one place. Um so that, that that is a real frustration, to be honest. The Dries are gone again, the Corey. You know, they are so hit and miss. Sometimes, you know, Gay will score a goal like he did at Palace. And other times he'll just put his foot through and it'll go into Rosehead. It's it's just and that's that's the thing, you know, Sean Deitch's Everton are creating chances, but it's just it's a lottery, isn't it? Whether it's gonna hit the net or not. So I think Forrest is a really tough tough one to call in in a in a sort of different way to United, but quite similar that, you know, you just you don't know what Everton you're going to get, and for you know it's it's a winnable game. But Forest at home, you know if they get an early goal as well, like United did, then it becomes a very tricky fixture. I think. Yeah, I think they have one of the uh, the best home records in the league over the last year as well. So Forest, you know, Forest at home playing at home is is no easy proposition at all. In terms of a question, that not sort of a formal weekly question, but. Um, Matt Jones poses this on uh, the blue on the Subs Weekly show, uh, which should be out by now, and I'll I'll put it to you fellas as well, seeing as it's been in the news today. But IFAB, which is the international body for FIFA, sticking its nose into football on a near constant basis to see how much it can screw around with the laws of the game, are going to be trialing sin bins as a disciplinary measure somewhere between yellow and red cards, I imagine. El, uh, your immediate thoughts on this, and if it isn't too prejudicial, should it be thrown in the bin straight away along with VAR? Yeah, well, the first thought I have about a sim bin is Ashley Young will just forever be on and off the pitch, won't he? 
all the time with his uh, with his niggly little fart. No, I just I think um, you know football is the best game on the planet for a reason, and you know fans loved it for what it was. You, we you don't need to change it. You know we we've seen with VAR, it changes it negatively uh, to the point that you know fans are some fans are switching off, some fans are feeling like it's a bit of a chore, some fans aren't enjoying match day like they used to, and I think you know a, a sim bin. You know, again, because the officiating isn't great. You know, players are going to be without. You know, team, sorry, are going to be without players for 10, 20 minutes when when they shouldn't. Uh, so for me, it's just the case that the the refereeing at the moment just isn't good enough to bring in another another ruling that will that will hamper too many teams unfairly. So for me, it's a massive no no. Um, you know, football has been fine without a sim bin for 120 odd years. Doesn't need it now either. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that because yeah, we we would probably end up being deducted 10 minutes on a regular basis. You're right, Ashley Young would probably pull both hamstrings um, during a regular 90 minutes as well, having to go back and forth um, to his seat. It's, I, I think the the issue of players surrounding a referee in dissent. We kind of saw that with the Corey's booking at the weekend, where certain that, that's I wouldn't say it's the biggest issue in the game, but again, it's 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 a law that's usually unfairly applied. I know I'm saying that obviously from an Evertonian point of view, but it, there's no real consistency to the way that referees dole out those punishments. Likewise, uh, with diving, um, which weirdly the referee made a very bold call at two or three yards from a decision was overruled. Rightly, in fairness, on reflection, um, after my hangover had subsided. But I think <laughs> the fact that we are finding more ways to make complicated what should be quite a simple game. This isn't someone watching the game and going, oh, do you know what, actually, players passing the ball back to the goalkeeper and him picking it up minute after minute after minute is quite bad, actually. We should make it a little bit quicker, shouldn't we? Because the ball's just going back to the goalkeeper all the time. That's different. It's not a safety issue. Like, I don't know, you see a sort of throwback challenge from the sort of late 80s, early 90s and go, oh, oh my God, you know, what is Vinnie <laughs> Jones doing, for example? Um, it's it's not that. This is just sort of, it's it's picking at the wrong scab, isn't it, really? And just, and it, there's a mess everywhere as a result of it. So, um yeah, no, is my answer to this week's question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's just it's just picking at scabs that don't even exist half the time. That's yeah. the thing, you know. It's just so much of the game wasn't broken and yet they just seem to want to co- constantly interfere, constantly meddle. <clears throat> and we're seeing the out the, the fallout from that in, you know, last night's VAR decision that that robbed Newcastle of, of what would have been a great win in Paris. It was bloody hilarious if you're you know, if you hate if you hate newcastle but i mean you know you, you wouldn't have this confusion if they just would stop changing the handball rule to the point where no one actually knows what the rule is anymore uh, you know it's in it's it's in the laws but uefa have a different interpretation of it a different implementation of it the premier league does it differently because they couldn't handle the initial one so yeah i mean it's just it's just a farce and you know i'm of the opinion that uh the, f- the fewer new rules, the better. Uh, stop messing around with the game. And I think that particularly in instances of dissent, you know, these referees are precious enough as it is. You're going to have players in the sin bin all the time, you know, just for slinging the F word at the referee when he's made a ridiculous decision. Uh, like you said, El, you know, the, the standard of the refereeing is not up to uh, introducing something like this. Where you can, you know, you just, as I say, you're going to have these instances happening all the time because people just do not have faith in the referees, and that leads to dissent just by uh, by its very nature. Yeah, and it, it's 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 gimmicky as well, isn't it? It's it's all centered around the television fan, like, oh yeah, yeah. I've got five pound on Luke Shaw to yeah. go in the sim bin on Sunday. Oh, oh, clever! It's it's that as opposed to actually enjoying the game and if and if you're in the ground and you sort of strain your eyes going oh five players surrounded by ref and I, I think four of them ended up in the sim bin but uh one of them said good gracious and not the f word so he's not gone in <laughs> it's yeah it's 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 a bit of a farce isn't it yeah 
Okay. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, thanks to Adam and Elle. We'll be back next week to chat all things Everton as we get into a really busy December. Uh, thanks so much for listening, Blues. All the best. And up the irate toffees. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.